Ahoy! It's your boy, and welcome to episode 76 of the podcast. This is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Everywhere you find good podcasts, you'll find this one. Take a minute, rate and review us, give us five stars, type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast and why others will also, and if you can think of one person in your life you think would like the show, send them your favorite episode. You can also now subscribe to the video podcast on YouTube. Just find us at thisismpod.com, locate the latest episode. You can watch the video podcast there or click through to YouTube. You'll find us and you can subscribe. Um, I want to circle back to something that came up at, I guess, kind of the top of uh, last week's episode was um, an update on my buddy Mark. Uh, I mentioned Mark was a buddy of mine who I knew when I was living in Arizona and when I first started playing music. And playing shows locally, he was uh, one uh, one of the many people that I, I played shows with on a regular basis. Um, uh, I just got news from a mutual acquaintance of ours that Mark was in the ICU with COVID, and uh, I've known a few people. I've known probably about I would say half a dozen to a dozen people who've had COVID, uh, either themselves or someone in their family, someone close to them has had COVID. And uh, even though I know many people who've been sick, uh, I haven't known many people who were really hit as hard as Mark was. So uh, the news that he was in the ICU was kind of scary. Mark has always been just a really um, interesting presence in my life. Always a great guy, obviously, but he's always been super supportive of my music. And Mark was one of those guys that just as you were forgetting about him, he would send you a message letting you know that he was watching what you were doing and supporting you. And you know, because we're all connected with people that we've known throughout our life on social media, we just kind of forget that these people are watching us. That's, I mean, for better or for worse. I mean, when I look back on some of the things I've posted on social media throughout my life, I sometimes I shudder to think like exactly how many people from every chapter of my life have probably seen that content. But um, I would say, especially for the good stuff, you know, uh, especially when it came to music, you know, I would have certain successes or or whatever, Mark would always hit me up via text and just let me know, hey man, congratulations. Uh, let me know he was always rooting for me. And, you know, he was, he, you know, I say was, like he's not around anymore. Uh, I guess I should say the update is that he's doing much better. He was, uh, uh, he's been discharged from the ICU. He's back home. He's recovering. So those are good things. Um, even talking about it now, I feel a little weird um, that I have dedicated, I guess, some time on the podcast to it because, you know, Mark is not somebody I've really stayed in touch with very deeply over the years. Um, I would say, you know, our level of contact is probably the level of contact that most of us have with acquaintances from different chapters of our life. You know, when things are good, we'll reach out to each other and say, good job. Um, I would say, clearly this instance has demonstrated that when things are especially bad, uh, I'll reach out to him also. Um, I guess when I didn't know how things were going to, you know, how things were going to go with his health, I really felt compelled to send him a message. And uh, I had been uh, getting updates about him through a mutual acquaintance of ours via like Facebook message and through email. But I also felt compelled to you know, try to send him a message myself. And so I, on the, you know, the text feature on the iPhone, you can actually send recorded messages. So I just sent him a message to say what I, I've always felt was true about Mark. And I never, 
I don't know that I ever articulated to him, which is Mark has always been very supportive of me. Anytime things were going well or he saw me doing, um, you know, having some kind of accomplish with, accomplishment with music, he would reach out and, and let me know that he was proud of me and that he was rooting for me. And so I just sent him a voice message saying, thank you for, you know, always being a good guy, for being a warm presence in my life and for always, um, you know, encouraging me. I think especially with music, I think probably any creative endeavor, but I think, you know, anytime you're in a creative community, <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to see other people do well. Um, it's very competitive. We have a sort of scarcity mentality where when somebody else has a success, we feel like it's sort of taken away from us. And I would say of, you know, the community of creative people that we had in that chapter of our life, like most people, most of the people I knew from that time period did other things with their life. Music was something that they enjoyed, but they never really pursued it as a career. And I think of that circle of people, with the exception of one other, um, there's one other person who I know who, at least last I heard, I mean, the the tides of fortune change in creative careers all the time, but uh, he was having some level of success as like a bass player for uh, a pretty successful touring uh, national act touring uh, pop group, which was pretty cool and surprising. You know, but outside of that group of people, I was the only one who was kind of like still making music. And when things were going well, he would always just reach out and let me know that he was proud of me and uh, that he thought my success, and I'm using big air quotes here, was well-deserved. And uh, that was always really touching for me. And uh, I don't know, I guess when I heard he wasn't doing well, it just affected me deeply um, to the extent that it, it just sort of makes you realize that there are meaningful people in your life and obviously we take them for granted and when bad things happen to them in addition to feeling sad for them and for their family there's also a bit of regret too because if mark were to disappear off the face of the earth and thankfully he's okay today you know i never would have told him like every time you reached out to me and, and had a nice thing to say about me it was really touching so thank you for that so anyway i sent him a message um you know, I was happy to see that things were doing, uh, his health was doing relatively well because he was able to, to text me back and we had sort of a brief exchange. But um, I did hear a word from um, our acquaintance that he's home now and recovering. So, you know, just want to say uh, that I'm happy about that. And it's just an interesting update too because, you know, I mean, the news just went out probably around this time last week that we've surpassed 500,000 deaths, uh, COVID deaths in the United States. And, uh, I don't know, it's pretty wild. You know, I think there's probably a million worldwide, maybe more. Uh, maybe two million? I'm not sure what it is, but um, it's not an insignificant number. And uh, especially as I've already had my first round of the vaccine, and I sort of see myself crossing that finish line, it feels a little undeserved. You know, I feel like I've gotten my vaccine on a technicality. I feel like there's many people who are... Uh, at greater risk than I am who don't qualify for the vaccine yet. And so I feel like I've gotten in on a loophole. But the fact that I will be, I guess, officially vaccinated soon, it just has me um, thinking about other people who aren't so lucky, right? I mean, geez, talk about privilege. I mean, the fact that I even I get the vaccine because of my employment. And uh, I mean, there's many uh, deserving people who are at risk who maybe may have even lost their jobs 
because of the impact of COVID on their lives. And so, I don't know. You just got to be grateful um, for what you have. But it's interesting. Actually, thinking about Mark, it just has me thinking about, like, you know, different chapters of my life. There's a couple things that have happened in the last couple of weeks that kind of have my mind going down this road. Another one is I, I actually heard from somebody that I used to, you know, I mentioned on the podcast that I attended this uh, performing arts boarding school in my freshman year of high school. Um, and that institution was all, is, is also a summer camp. And I spent, uh, before my, before attending their academy, their boarding school, I had spent a few summers there. Um, and I don't know if any of you have attended like a, a summer camp on a regular basis, but especially when you're young, time uh, feels a lot longer than it actually is. And so if whether you're at a summer camp for four weeks or eight weeks or whatever it is, the friendships that you forge there, you become very close with people very quickly because you're you're sort of, uh, you know, you're living alongside each other and uh, friendships form fast. But also there's just something about being younger where time just feels like it lasts forever. Like now that I'm an adult and I'm in school, a semester goes by in a blink of an eye. Uh, you know, since going back to school, I'm finishing my second year of college. And it's like it's been, it feels like a semester. I mean, it, the time just goes by so incredibly fast. Whereas when I was younger, a year of school felt like a lifetime. And uh, the idea of, uh, you know, your entire high school career... Uh, I mean, you just, you live a thousand lives within the span of high school, whereas as, as an adult, things are more calcified. But uh, I did hear from somebody who reached out to me on Facebook, a good friend of mine uh, from one of my summers at this uh, performing arts summer camp. And uh, she and I have a plan to, I, I think we're going to connect via like Zoom or Google Meet or something. But the, the reason this is coming up for me now is one, it's, it has me feeling nostalgic, but when you reconnect from people, uh, from pe when you reconnect with people from your past, a lot of times you just exchange stories like, "Oh, remember this? Remember that?" I mean, I've talked about on this podcast. Uh, you know, I'm in this group chat with a couple of my guy friends back from when I was living in Arizona as well, and uh, there's something so cool about that because when we reconnect, even if I haven't spoken with some of these people in five years, you just sort of fall back in with each other, and it's like no time has passed. At all, and I think a lot of friendships are like that. I think it's you know, especially with guy friends. Um, but as I was exchanging messages with this person who reached out to me, we'll call her N, the letter N. Um, you know, she shared some things that she remembered about me, and I had no fucking memory of them at all. I mean, I was doing theater at the time, and I think she said she saw me in tights. She remembers me, like, performing a part where I had to play tights. I have no idea what she's talking about. But the thing I remember most, and I don't know what this says about me, but the thing I remember most about our friendship is I remember being very close, but I don't really remember just kind of hanging out. I don't remember the day-to-day. Um, I, the thing that sticks out most in my mind is saying goodbye to this person. You know, when you're, <laughs> when you're young, everything's just sort of operatic anyway, but I think especially being a young art artsy fartsy creative type, everything becomes exponentially more dramatic. Um, you know, anybody who can think of like the theater kids from their high school, it was like the loudest, loudest lunch table in the cafeteria, right? Just sort of yelling and screaming and everything's very dramatic for lack of a better word. Um, but there was something about the, 
how do I say it, the emotional atmosphere of that environment, you know, both as a camp and as a boarding school, this performing arts um, institution, where everything was very heightened, right? And so you spend an entire summer with some folks and you feel, you know, you feel like this is going to be your best friend for the rest of your life. And uh, I remember saying goodbye to this person. Um, at the end of the summer, on the last night of camp, everybody can sort of congregate on the, the main center of this campus to just kind of say their goodbyes um, before going back to their cabins and, you know, having to wake up and go home the next day. And I remember saying goodbye to this person. And I remember her sitting across from me and saying very earnestly, you know, how much our friendship meant to her and that she would never forget me. And I remember that entire summer, I wore this hoodie every day, everywhere I went which is how I still live my life. I, I have basically like a standard issue uniform that I wear every day. I mean, if, if you start watching the video podcast regularly, you'll see I wear this shirt. I have, multi- I have multiples of these t-shirts, but I, it'll be the same type of t-shirt. You know, I'm like Steve Jobs, man. What can I say? I wear the same thing every day. Um, but even then, I wore the same hoodie the entire summer. And I remember uh, I gave it to her. And uh, we separated. And I remember the next day leaving. I had to catch my bus to the uh, to the airport. And it was like early in the morning. And I remember as I was leaving, I had to pass by this sort of fence or gate um, that at that time was the barrier between like the women's side of campus and the boys' side of campus. And the boys were not allowed to cross it. And the girls were not allowed to cross over to the boys' uh, side of campus. But um, it must have been common knowledge that the buses that were going to the airport uh, passed by this thing. And uh, as I was leaving on the bus, I saw her standing there. She was wearing the hoodie that I gave her. And I think it was like at the time, you know, she wanted to say goodbye one last time and uh, just never got that chance. As my bus is going by, I remember I reached up and like tried to pull down the the bus window to let her know that I saw her and uh, I just couldn't get it down. And uh, those are the two memories that I have of our entire friendship. And yeah, I've just been reflecting, like, why do you, why do we remember the things that we do? I mean, I think it just is the case, like, when you go through life, th- there's things that people remember about you that you never remember. Um, you know, we just can't remember the way that people actually experience us. You know, all the time I've had people from my past, get, you know, reconnect with me and say, oh, I remember that one time you said that, you said X, Y, or Z, that always really stuck with me. And it's like, I have no memory of saying that. I mean, I remember one time uh, there was a local songwriter here in the Bay Area named Brian Bergeron, really cool guy. I remember one time we were at a housewarming party for a mutual friend of ours, another musician. And uh, he had he, he had just started, when we reconnected, he had just started a new relationship. I think uh, he and his partner had just gotten married or were planning on getting married. And then their plan was just like travel around, I think, the world for like a year. Um but we were talking about the grind, the you know, trying to be a successful artist and the, all the bullshit that's involved with that. And I remember he said, you know, you said something one time that always stuck with me. And, uh, I, I, you know, I've always thought about it. And I was like, oh, yeah? What's that? And he said, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember the words exactly. But it was something like, you know, creative people always think that success at whatever endeavor they're trying to achieve will make them happy. And the sad part is that it never does. 
you know, and just speaking from my experience, it's like every time, you know, it's like every time I move through my creative career, for lack of a better word, it's like you, you, you look ahead towards some goal or some obstacle that you're trying to, um, overcome or surpass or achieve. And once you get it, it never makes you happy. Because as, as soon as you know, you kick the can down the road and say, "Once I get there, I'm going to be, I'm going to be fulfilled." But once you actually get there, you see the road ahead of you now, and you just kick the can down the road again. You know, I've always described it like driving in a fog. You know, you just keep moving forward, and you're making progress, but it all looks the same. It all looks and feels the same because by the time you get there, you've already acclimated to it. You know, I guess. Ah, well, I don't know. I'm trying to think maybe I shouldn't use people's names, but for I'm thinking about Matt Nathanson, who's a guy that I've toured with. And I remember, you know, you go on tour with a guy like Matt Nathanson and you think, oh man, what is it going to take for me to have that person's level of success? And I'm totally projecting here. Matt Nathanson may be 100% A-OK fulfilled, but you have to imagine that even if one were to get to Matt Nathanson's level of success, there's people above him that he lo- must look toward and be like, damn, why can't I get to that person's level of success? You know, like maybe Matt Nathanson looks at Justin Bieber and says, hey man, that's supposed to be me. Or John Mayer, or I don't know who the uh, white dude with a guitar equivalent would be, but um, probably John Mayer, honestly, now that I think about it. Um, but yeah, it's just funny what we remember about ourselves. And I bet if most of the people that we've ever brushed shoulders with in our life could actually had the opportunity to tell us how they remember us, or I, I, bet, it, I bet we'd be flattered beyond belief. I mean, unless you're a genuinely, unless you're a genuinely bad person, I bet, well, or you just have an insanely accurate sense of yourself. You have a, you have a very well calibrated sense, uh, self-esteem. Uh, maybe you wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. I look back on that stuff and I just think my self-esteem has colored so much of my memories, you know, like I look back on my life and I... It sounds kind of sad to say it, but I, I've said in, in therapy as well, like when I look back on my life, I don't know that there's ever a time that I've been happy, you know, where I just think, oh, like, oh, wow, that was a really happy time in my life. And it's not that there wasn't a reason to be. It's not even that things were that bad. I mean, I've had some challenging chapters in my life for sure. But I, I, I think I always look to the future or... I look toward a time in my life where like, I'll just be sort of satiated or I'll be able to let go of something that I feel like I've been carrying for most of my life and even carrying it at times where I really didn't have a reason to. And I feel like I'm sort of talking in circles here and not being very clear, but as I'm thinking about this person who was a friend of mine, when I spent my summers at this performing arts summer camp, you know, those are really special summers in my life. Um, that was a place where I kind of got to be somebody else. You know, I was just in my element. I mean, when I was at home, I I did theater, but I also went to school and it was like, I don't know. I felt, I don't know. I didn't feel like I was in my element, but I was able to spend my summers at this, you know, uh, this summer camp and just kind of focus on theater and acting. And it was like, I got, that's who I got to be. And I was celebrated as like that person. Like I was, your boy is talented you know? And, um, and I felt, I, yeah, I, I mean, (laughs) I felt celebrated, you know, I felt like people liked me for the things that I valued about myself, you know? And I don't know, I don't know what kept me from really like enjoying that. I mean, I recognized it, but it didn't, 
I don't know. I guess in some ways I kind of felt I was like fooling people <laughs> or something. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe I do have to sort of um, tease this out in therapy a little bit. Why, why don't I remember the good times as much? You know, why, why do I only remember saying goodbye to this person or, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a fucking broken record on this podcast, but it, it did have me thinking about just when, how, when I've gone through my life, the way I see myself versus the way other people see me. And to me, the, 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 the starkest example of that is, um, when I was in second grade, I had a second grade teacher. Um, and, and this was sort of at the, I guess the height of my time growing up where I thought like people didn't like me or I didn't have friends. You know, I've always been a loner, but it was like, I remember coming home from school and like being emotional and like saying to my mother, like, why don't people like me? Why don't I have, why don't I have friends? And my mom was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Um, which sounds fine, except I remember years later reconnecting with my second grade teacher for some reason. And I remember saying to her, like, I, I just don't understand. Like, I, I, I don't remember, like, I didn't have a lot of friends. Like, why didn't people like me that much? And she just kind of looked at me, kind of gobsmacked and said, you know, there was a point halfway through the, the school year where I, I asked the students, you know, she was shuffling the seating order of the classroom and asked the students to write down, you know, their list of three people they prefer to sit next to. And she's like, most of the people in the class wanted to sit next to you. And I was like, oh, shit. And there's two things, because <laughs> one, that was just sort of eye-opening for me. But I also, you know, as we sort of talked about it, cause I was like, oh, wow, that really, that wasn't my experience. She says, oh, did you make an effort to make friends with other people? And I remember when she said that, like a light bulb went off in my head, and I went, oh, no, I guess I, guess I didn't. And I remember, like, running out to my mom and saying, hey, mom, 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 I, I guess I didn't put out an effort to, like, make friends with people. Like, that, that's why people, that's why I didn't feel like people liked me. And I thought that that's kind of like, um, it's just surprising to see, like, uh, I think as an adult, someone would hear that and just like say, oh yeah, I tried everything. Like as an adult, we don't like absorb criticism that well, or we don't, uh, I don't know, maybe we don't take responsibility for things as well as we do when we're younger, but, um, yeah. Anyway, what the fuck am I talking about? I don't know. I'll be honest with you, man. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm beat. It's a uh, late Sunday. It's been a long ass fucking week. <sighs> I'm tired. I was just about to like unwind for the night and I went, ah, God damn it. I got to do the podcast. So to be honest with you, I feel like I'm, I'm dancing a little bit for you, which sucks, man. This is the second episode of the video podcast. This is where, you know, we're in the last downhill home stretch of the first 100 episodes and uh, I was kind of hoping for clear, clear, clear sailing, wind in my sails, hit the accelerator, and fucking speed toward the end, right? And uh, so I don't know. I felt like the last episode was pretty, was, uh, was pretty strong. And uh, I gotta be honest with you, it feels a little harder today. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it sounds self-congratulatory, but I also remember, well, there's a couple things. I think most people are self-conscious. I think most people have some uh, hang-ups about their appearance, 
right? I mean, even like supermodels, even people who make a career based on their looks, they they make a living based on the fact that they are uh, uh, traditionally or um, culturally beautiful, if that makes sense. You know, supermodels are, are, you know, probably some of the most insecure people you'll ever meet. So most of us have hangups about our physical appearance, but you know, as I was growing up, it never really occurred to me that someone would actually be attracted to me. And I don't know if it was so much that I had hangups about my physical appearance as much as it was, again, an extension of my self-esteem. Um, I guess I'm thinking when I was at summer camp, I remember like I was like a popular guy, you know, and it was just sort of common knowledge that a lot of people liked me. And I remember that being so kind of um, <laughs> strange for me. And uh, I'm trying to counterpoint it against like, I remember when I was like 15 or 16, I had to have been like 15 or 16 because I was driving. But I remember uh, there was a couple, we had two guy friends in our circle who were dating these two girls. And I don't remember how they met them, but maybe at like a pool hall or something like that. But um, these two girls had a another friend, this female, who to me was like, one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen in my life. And I don't know how it happened, but there was a couple nights we were all sort of hanging out together. She needed a ride home, and I ended up giving her her ride home. And I remember, like, driving home with her and just kind of being silly, and she was, like, laughing. And I remember just thinking, like, wow, this girl's, like, so perfect. She's, like, funny. She's smart. She's beautiful. She's laughing at my jokes. Gosh, wouldn't it be awesome if she was attracted to me? Like, what does a guy got to do to get a girl like that to like me? And so there was like two or three nights in a row where like I drove her home and it was like, toodaloo, ta-ta, see you, bye-bye. And I remember like a week or two later, I hadn't talked to her in a while and I, I bumped into her at uh, some social setting or whatever and she was like not being very friendly to me. And I think at one point I just walked up to her and was like, hey, is like, is everything cool? Like, what's what's going on? And she basically told me she was pissed because she she liked me and I hadn't done anything about it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. And it was like, uh, it was like, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, it just never occurred to me that this person would be attracted to me. I think if I look back on my life, there's just so many of those. <laughs> I've gone on dates with people where like, they've been like, uh, hey, you want to come inside? And I'm like, oh, no, nope, gotta go. And I'll go. And then, like, later, they're like, what the fuck? What's up with you, man? And I'm like, like, why don't you make your move? And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. Like, that just didn't feel appropriate to me. Gosh. I, I, I've told you the date about the time I picked that girl up and, like, fell down her stairs. Gosh. I remember after that date, I thought, this date went fucking horrible, man. And at the end of it, I just, like, gave her a handshake and said, bye-bye. <laughs> like, the next time we saw each other, she was like, why didn't you kiss me at the end of our date? And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? She was like, yeah, I wanted to kiss you. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? My wires are all fucked up, man. I had, Dude, your boy has no game. Uh, no game. Dude, it's so sad. <laughs> man, I've never been smooth. Gosh, so many embarrassing stories, man. So many times I tried to be cool and fucking just failed. But maybe the, dude, maybe the, oh, maybe, maybe this is the lesson. Man, maybe this is the lesson. Uh, I always go back to Chinese philosophy, but, uh, you know, there's uh, these great books, The Tao of Pooh and the Day of Piglet. 
I don't actually I don't know if they're great. I read these years ago before I actually got into Chinese philosophy. So, um, but I do remember uh, the second book, The Day of Piglet. Day is this Chinese philosophical concept of virtue. Um, but it's not just being good; it's the moral force of being a good person. You know, like the uh, a, a leader who exercises virtue. You know, people will, uh, doesn't have to do anything, just by the force of their by the <laughs> the force of their moral virtue or whatever, they have the power to have things happen, right? They have the power to. Um, People are reformed of themselves. People can just see this person's, someone models virtue and people are reformed of themselves. They don't need to be punitive, whatever. Um, This book, The Day of Piglet, talks about how Piglet has virtue because he doesn't know he has virtue. Dude, this is so self-congratulatory. But I think when I look back on my life, the times where people liked me the most is when I was trying the least. Or I I wasn't aware of like how people were perceiving me. You know, we've talked in other episodes about this Taoistic, it's also in, in other sort of um, strains of Chinese philosophy of, of Wu Wei. You know, normally it's translated as non-action, but it's, it's also no unnecessary action. But it, it's just this idea that anything done with intention is usually not successful. Whereas if we just sort of are in the moment and are just kind of moving with the times and acting appropriately to every given circumstance and not being methodical and just being present and aware that things are completed of themselves, you know. Um, it makes sense to me when I look back on that time we're driving this driving this girl home and just like not trying to woo her not trying to be charming just kind of being myself you know it's not going to work for everybody right I mean some people just don't like who you are at the end of the day in fact most people are not going to like who you are um, you know and uh <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about those like programs like The Game. Do you remember that? It's like pickup artist bullshit. Like you have to be mean to girls. It's like you could win people that way, but nothing fulfilling for you, right? Um, Anyway, I don't know where the fuck I'm going with all this. maybe sometimes I just wish I could go through my life like uh, Scrooge and see like the ghosts of uh, of of past me's I'm trying to avoid my name here Uh, ghosts of me pasts Probably for good and for bad. I mean, for Scrooge, it was like, dude, look what a dick you... Actually, I think for Scrooge... Oh, dude, shit, this is deep. I think for Scrooge, wasn't it like he went and saw the past and who he was? And he saw a better version of of himself? And he compared it to, like, the present, which is like, look what a monster you become. And then it's the ghost of Christmas futures, and I'm like, dude, this is where you're headed if you don't change. Isn't that it? Isn't it a bit like Citizen Kane? Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Citizen Kane. Um... But after all his success, Rosebud is a sled he had when he was a child. You know? And it's like, wow, you, it, it's that sort of, you know, even also sort of Chinese philosophy, a sort of return to childhood, a return to innocence. 
Um, and I think on another episode I was talking about, like, I think I was cooler as a kid. <laughs> I think, uh, I think I was, I, I, well, it, it's a, it's a bunch of stuff, but, um, there is something about being younger, being more receptive and, 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 and in some ways feeling closer to who you are, even though you feel fucking clueless. I think many of us have this period in our adult lives where we sort of, probably around the time we turn 30 where we feel like we kind of know ourselves better and lo and behold we see ourselves getting back into things that we were interested in as a child it's almost like we feel like when we were born we're fully formed and at some point in our early teens we decide we play dress up and we start putting on costumes and we try to make our way in the world and we try to find ourselves um and uh you know, it's that sort of there and back again, hero's journey type thing where it's circular. You know, you, you're surprised that at the end of the journey, you return, return home to see that you already had everything you needed. Anyway, I'm thinking about my looks. I told myself now that we were doing the uh, video podcast, I was going to be uh, well-groomed and well-coiffed for every one of these. But, you know, especially as a bald dude, I can't really let my hair grow out because it's so thin on top. It looks fucking ridiculous. I got to keep that shit short. And lo and behold, it's not short. And my face, man, I am not well-groomed. I always feel better after I groom. I start feeling shitty sometimes and I think, man, why am I feeling a little down in the dumps? And then as soon as I cut my hair and trim my face, I feel like a thousand times better. So vain. You know what? I just kind of feel down in general, honestly. Yeah, I feel kind of down in general. Had a math test today. Calculus. Fucking bullshit. Oh, Jesus. I, I mean, I've talked with my brother about it. I've talked about it with my girlfriend, but... It's such a cliche, too. You feel like a stoned college student when you talk about this stuff, but you're just like, man, who needs to know this stuff anyway? It's like not going to matter in my life, man. So it's like, as I'm like determining the limit of a function, I'm just like, who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck? I sure don't, man. I hope this is the last math class I ever have to take. Excuse me. Sorry, burping at you. Yeah, every time I start a semester, I just look at the material and I think, how am I going to get A's? You know, is this a semester where I don't, I don't fucking do it? So, we'll see, man. So, so far, things have worked out well, but um, I don't know. It's like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, every semester, I think, how am I going to do it? And then I do it, thankfully. And yet, uh, from where I'm at today, I just think, like, how am I going to end the semester with A's again? I just want to know where I'm going. I've applied to a lot of schools. I just kind of want to know where I'm transferring to. 
is it, it dude it's way too early to be fucking feeling like you're i'm almost burnt out on school it's only been two years i still have two more years to go i'm only halfway Maybe it's like the podcast. I, I feel like about episode 50, like things got really tough. You know, and it's been tough for a long time with the podcast. You know, I would say for the last three months or so, like things with the podcast have been hard. And, um, but that's where you grow, right? I mean, I've been talking about this whole, <laughs> again, I don't know why I don't tell you what I get. Or fuck it. I'll tell you. So I, I, I was going to talk about working out. This workout channel I've been doing on YouTube is called Body Project. So go ahead, check it out, see the exercises I'm doing, and have a laugh at your boy doing these uh, mommy jazzercise aerobic exercises. But I like it, okay? I like it. And uh, I was doing that today, and it was really hard today. You know, I went for a long walk yesterday. Me and my girlfriend probably hiked for like five miles. And I know that's not like, uh, you know, it's not a fucking expedition. But, uh, you know, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good walk, right? If you're walking up and hiking in the hills and you know, it's a good workout. Um, but I told myself today, like I was going to do my workout for my test, which I took and uh, I did. And it was just hard. You know, it was like, I wanted to stop like every 15 seconds and it was just kind of a slog. So I don't know, maybe I'm getting sick. Like even now I feel like a sneeze, like percolating in my nose. I'm just tired. I mean, on Friday night, I spent the night at my girlfriend's place. Sorry, I do think I have to sneeze here. I spent the night at my girlfriend's place, and we slept for like 12 hours. I remember kind of closing my eyes at, at uh, you know, 12.15, shortly after midnight, and we didn't get out of bed till noon. You know, and it was kind of like since 10.30 in the morning, it was like kind of kind of half asleep, kind of up. But, uh, you know, I felt like I was like in high school again. Like, as an adult, I just don't sleep that late. I guess I'm making up for, uh, for lost time from the week. Work has been challenging. I don't know. (laughs) My girlfriend and I were having a laugh about work, though. I've, uh, I feel, uh, because I know it's so ubiquitous and it's so common, I feel like a fucking Scrooge, ironically. But uh, there's something about the way that work is, um, there's something about, there's this mentality about work that's sort of pervasive now that I find kind of odious is, I find a lot of my adult endeavors, I'm just sort of disappointed to see how committed many people are to sort of infantilizing adults these days, like in the name of like having fun or work needs to be more like play or something like that, but um I find it kind of, uh, I I don't think it's productive and I find it kind of strange. I think we're going to look back on this time period and there's a lot of things we're doing now that we're going to laugh at. Like I know, uh, at least when we were meeting on site for a lot of my meetings, it's like you would show up and like the person facilitating the meeting would put out like a pipe cleaner to like play with or like little fidget toys. And it was like, you know, under the assumption that like, this is, these are things that we needed to stay engaged or like, and it was like, this is a meeting. Like this is work. What, 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 why can't we just show up and do the work? You know, my girlfriend and I were comparing and contrasting these icebreakers that we've seen facilitators bring to meetings or even conferences or whatever it is that we're doing that just seem like we're in Montessori. (laughs) But like, uh, I was saying, 
uh, we did this thing in my most recent like staff meeting where we went around in a circle and like everyone had to like make a noise and a movement and like then had to like repeat it almost like a game of telephone and kind of it was like it became increasingly challenging because you had every time it was your turn you had to do all the preceding ones and then add your own and it was like okay but can't we just get to the meeting you know do i really need this kind of like childlike playful engagement for a for a staff meeting i i, I don't feel like i need it my girlfriend was saying uh for her uh i don't know if it was a staff meeting or a conference or whatever it was but it was like they invited everyone to like make a silly sound to like turn off their camera and their microphone and like just make a silly noise. And then for the people who felt comfortable, they could like turn on, turn on their audio and their mic and like have a silly sound symphony. And I was like, is this a Rafi concert or a staff meeting? And I know it sounds kind of like, like I'm a Scrooge, but it's like, to, to what end are we doing this? I think for me, it's always felt a little strange because I've never believed that the facilitators themselves are really interested in it. Like I was saying to my girlfriend, there's so much of this stuff that this corporate culture kind of stuff that is around these days that not only do I just not like it aesthetically, I every time it sort of comes up, I don't even believe the facilitators are really all about it. Like I always go back to, I feel like I'm at a church you know, like the example I used with my girlfriend was like Jesus camp or Pentecostalist. Like if you ever see a Pentecostal religious service, they believe in speaking in tongues, right? Shalom alaymon, shalom alam. Sort of this gibberish nonsense that from, you know, they claim is, you know, the Holy Spirit speaking through them, you know? And when you see it taking place and transpiring, you see the adults doing it and you see the pastor doing it. And they're like, oftentimes they're like crying and you see children doing it. And it's all nonsense, you know? Now, ritual is not nonsense, and I'm, you know, this is a practice that everybody engages in, and so there's something about this is our collective belief, and we come together and we do it, and it's, you know, a man- manifestation of the, of the values that we have, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the claim, like when you speak with those people, they talk about it amongst themselves as if it's real, which it's not, you know? It, it, there is something sort of fundamentally performative about it, right? And, like, I guess my mind is going back to this place where, you know, there's a lot of, uh, well, there's a couple things, actually. I get to brag now. Um, you know, with all the social, just ha- social justice stuff happening, um, you know, many organizations are making efforts to be more anti-racist and more inclusive, and what have you. And uh, part of my job is I do a lot of interviews for, you know, we have a large volunteer component to our agency. And uh, for the last eight months or so, I've been doing all of the interviewing and onboarding for that um, program. And one of the things that the agency has always talked about is being more diverse, being more anti-racist. And, you know, it just appears to be the case. I I was not aware of it, but since I've taken over that duty, the volunteer pool has become, it's, it's very diverse now. Um, a lot of different faces, a lot of different colors, a lot of different, uh, everything. And, um, you know, I was given kudos for doing that. I don't know that I'm doing anything special except I interview qualified applicants and accept the ones I like. But, um, 
but anyway, I think I just get to brag, but where the fuck am I going with this? Um, uh, performative not, oh, uh, in these talks, I did, I saw a graphic like about a month ago that I thought was very interesting. I wish I could, I wish I could source it because I, I would like you to have a look at it, but it basically talked about, you know, with our fight, fight or flight, this is something that we, we talk about a lot, but especially around uncomfortable conversations and race and, uh, identity is certainly one of those. Like it's the type of thing that people have a strong reaction to. And I'm trying to remember all of them, but obviously there's a fight, you know, some people get very aggressive when you bring up certain topics. There's flight. Some people just like shut down and they're quiet. Um, I'm trying to think of a different one. There's four of them. (laughs) I can't remember the third one, but another one that I had never heard before, but I thought was so illustrative, illustrative was fawn. Fight, flight, something and fawn. And I thought that to me is so illustrative because that is a response that I see that is very pervasive. And by fawn, to me, that means a sort of superficial, performative, sort of going with the flow, with the conversation. And that to me seems so commonplace and so ubiquitous. And that's what bothers me. And that's what I feel like when we have these like corporate culture conversations about we need to have more play and we need to be doing this and we need to play with pipe cleaners and fidget toys in our staff meeting. It's like, I don't think that we do. <laughs> you know, I, it just, I don't know why. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Do I sound like a, do I sound like a cringe? Do I sound like a Scrooge? I I haven't seen the benefit of it, you know, but again, I think part of it is I don't, I don't even believe the facilitators who say that they want this for me. But who knows? Maybe that's what life is. We go through these trends. I mean, I'm, for some reason I'm thinking about the movie American Psycho with like the yuppie, (laughs) the whole yuppie phase. There's entire, you know, one of the most famous scenes from that movie. And, and when I go back and I watch it, I, I, I don't think it really ever struck me how fucking genius it is. And it's actually from the novel, right? But in the movie, it's like, you know, the businessmen sitting around and comparing their business cards. You know, that was cool at the time. Or for, you know, the yuppies in New York City around that time. Now it's actually out here in the Bay Area with the tech bros. But anyway, every time I talk about this stuff, I regret it. <laughs> Five minutes after saying stuff, I go, damn, I wish I would not have said that. <sighs> you know, my mind is going back to this part about like remembering people from your past, though, and this idea of like being cooler as a kid. I find as I get older, it's harder for me to say what I actually think. One, because it feels a little more isolating because it just is the case that a lot of times I look up and I, whether I'm in a social situation or in work, I feel like I don't really 
belong. I feel like at least from what I'm observing, there's a lot of behavior taking place that everybody else seems very enthusiastic about that I want nothing to do with. And I, 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 that's how I feel. That's my very personal perspective. And yet I think I talk about this because what I really think is I think on some level, if all of us had our druthers, including the facilitators, including the other people who are fawning in response to this, and I know I was talking about fawning in terms of like topics of social justice, but I, I also just mean the, you know, whatever the, the current culture is, right? So many of us just get along and maybe that's the smart thing to do, honestly. Um, but I think that's, it's not really something that any of us want to be doing. So when I talk about these things, maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe I'm just a contrarian or whatever you want to call it. But I think I say this because I hope other people feel the same way, you know, and if they do, why does this persist? Like to what end? If we're all just kind of playing along and pretending to believe, like to what end? I mean, there's a big part of our, 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 our discourse in the world now that I feel like I'm back when I was like hanging out with the Mormon church and everybody was just walking down the hallway, pointing at each other and saying, Hey man, the church is true. Hey man, the church is true. And it's like, it's not that any one person believes that as much as they believe in belief. And I'm not trying to posture or position myself as one of these people who's like telling it, telling it like it is, because I think that's its own kind of reaction to the culture, right? People who think that they're being honest, but really they're being just dicks. <laughs> um, you know, those reality TV stars who say, oh, nobody likes me because I tell it how it is. It's like, and you're an asshole. That's why nobody likes you. That's not what I'm going for. Um I guess what I'm saying is I hear myself say this stuff sometime and maybe because I'm also thinking about people from my past. It's like I, I very phys- like I very much feel those people like in the room with me now. And I think if those people saw me now, like what would they think about me? You know, I don't know. <laughs> maybe it doesn't matter. But again, I go back to this idea of like being cooler as a kid. I think there's so many people from my past for some reason, I just feel like wouldn't like me today. And as much as that bothers me, it's also, you know, I feel like so much of my youth, especially, was trying to be what I thought other people wanted me to be. I would just look at other people and just kind of be what they wanted me to be. And so that's how I ingratiated myself with people. And as much as I talk about, like, I don't think people liked me, I also saw how well I got on with people or how, how endeared I was to some people. You know, I can look back on my life and think for many people, I think I was an exceptional person in their life. But when I also look back on that period, I also know that it was an extension of my self-esteem, that it was, it was much easier for me to be what people wanted me to be than to just like be myself. Does that make sense? Uh, for some reason, I'm going back to the supermodel thing, which is like, yeah, maybe you're making a living with your looks, but your self-esteem really does suffer because you're not being, you're not making a living for who you are. You know, maybe part of the pain and 
what's torturing is that you're being celebrated for a very superficial veneer thing. And you know that the, the deepest parts of yourself are actually not being recognized and celebrated. <laughs> so I don't know. I didn't think I was going to go so deep here, but there's a part of me when I think about who I am today. And even though I feel like I'm drawing closer to like who I am and I think just a part of getting older is you just care less because, you know, you want to make yourself happy. You you have to live with yourself at the end of the day, and it's just it's just not as motivating what other people think about you. You know, you want to be happy with yourself. So, <sighs> maybe as I'm reconnecting with this person from my past, and we're like going to reconnect on Zoom or something, there is a part of me that feels like. You know, I, I don't know. Dude, like people who go back to their <laughs> people who go back to their high school reunion, it's just fucking insane to me. Like, doesn't that sound like such an anachronism? Like who in their right mind would ever go back to their high school reunion? First of all, who remembers high school fondly enough that they would want to return to it? And who 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 would like go through the the turmoil of it? You know? Like people say, Oh, I gotta drop 20 pounds to, to, to look good for my high school reunion. It's like, dude, just don't even go. Who gives a shit? I mean, I remember, I think we've talked about this on the podcast actually, but there was something I read or something that somebody said to me anecdotally that I globbed onto and, and just took as gospel truth, but something like, you know, uh, not only because of technology and, and certainly with COVID, but just over the years, fewer and fewer people go to their high school reunions, but when they poll people, supposedly, about why they don't go, I think one of the most common responses is that people don't go back because they're scared or they're embarrassed of, of political statements they've met on social media. I'm going to try to weave this into what I'm talking about, but, you know, obviously the need to go to your high school reunion is diminishing because we reconnect with people on social media. You know, this person who reached out to me, you know, maybe there would be more incentive to make the physical journey back to a place to revisit, to see some of the people that, you know, before Facebook, you never would have had the chance to connect to. And you, and if, and if you ever are going to reconnect with them, this is the chance, right? So that does make sense. But maybe now that we're all connected via social media, there's no fucking need to. I saw what that person had for fucking breakfast yesterday. (laughs) I definitely don't need to fly across the country to see what they look like. I see it. I see what they look like when they wake up. I see what they look like when they go out. I see what they look like when they exercise. I see what they look like when they have their coffee in the morning or when they pick their kids up from school. We are inundated with content from people from our past. And in a way, maybe that's why change, I don't, you know, I don't know that change actually is more difficult, but in some ways, I feel like, sometimes I I feel like being connected and feeling accountable to people that you've known your whole life can make change more difficult because you've been so emphatic or vocal about positions that you've held at one time in your life. It's harder to change. You know, I've mentioned a friend of mine, uh, from my creative community, a former collaborator of mine who since Trump is elected has become like an alt-right guy. And he's been so vehemently alt-right and pro-Trump that you just think like anything that any of us have been evangelized to at any time in our life, you know, life is long. You live a thousand lives. There's so many chapters of your life. And you just think, you know, if he ever changed his mind, it's going to be very hard for him, I think, I'm assuming. It's going to be hard for anyone who's been that evangelical, evangelically pro-Trump to have a change of heart 
because they feel committed. You know, this is, uh, if you've listened to the podcast, this is like pretty much the fucking greatest hits at this point. But, uh, I mean, this is something we talk about on the podcast all the time. You know, that's why you don't get tattoos when you're in your 20s. Especially, don't you don't get your whole fucking body covered in tattoos because then you're pot committed. Like, this is your look. You know, you don't get to change. You don't get to be a different person. Or if you do, it's just incredibly difficult because this is the look you've adopted. You know, you, you're pot committed to this look now, to this character, to this personality. I mean, I, th- I think I've mentioned it on this podcast, but, you know, there's a YouTube channel that I really enjoy that you may have seen yourself, but it's called Soft White Underbelly. And it's a whole repository of interviews that this guy who's a photographer um, he goes down to Skid Row and just sets up a video camera and invites people to come in and tell their story. And you hear from drug addicts, prostitutes, gang members. And, uh, you know, one thing you really hear from people, especially gang members who have tats all over their face, is they say, I can't do anything else. This is who I am. This is who I am to the world. You know, when I was young, I made a series of choices that now I have to live in the world whether or not my heart has changed, this is what I look like to the world. This is how people perceive me. Um, I don't really get to do anything else, even if I want to. Um, so anyway, I don't know what I'm saying here, except I guess as I'm saying that, I'm not saying don't commit to things. <laughs> uh, if you're passionate about things, uh, you know, I guess you got to be vocal about them, but... I guess I'm just dialing into this idea of like people don't go back to their high school reunion because they're scared to be held accountable for political statements they've met on they they've made on social media. Maybe because so much about social maybe so much of social media is about being not who we are but who we see ourselves as. I mean this the you know the thing that made that clear for me is when I was just you know, when I moved out to the Bay Area, Facebook was already a thing out here. It just wasn't a, a thing in Arizona. It was a bigger thing in California, where, where I guess where where it, where it existed, where it was you know um, where the company was, I guess. But you know, everybody was on Facebook, and I finally got around to it after all my coworkers were sort of on there, and I, I saw what it was. And th- one of the most illuminating things was becoming friends with a coworker of mine, who. You know, I had a very strong perception of who they were as a person. But when I friended them on Facebook and looked at their profile, it was them with a camera. And it was just them, like, taking photos of things. And I was like, I didn't even know this person, like, took photos. But it showed me, oh, Facebook or, or social media in general or whatever your, quote, profile is, it's not about who you are in the real world. It's about who you want to be, how you want people to perceive you. This is your curated space. And I was like, in the world of online, like, this is who you get to be. So, you know, there's no epiphanies here, except maybe there's something about, we, you know, people just sort of broadcast who they want to be or who they, how they want people to perceive them on social media. And I think a lot of us know that if we were ever to be seen in person, we just couldn't live up to the hype. I mean, is there anything more ridiculous and kind of sad and funny, if I'm being honest about it, but... I mean, well, I'll just say it first. The filters that people put on their face for Instagram, especially if you know any older women in your life. Um, you know, we all know, and, you know, the, the the topic about, you know, societal pressures and beauty standards is another thing. I'm just talking about there are people who post photos of themselves who are trying to convince you that this is what they look like. And you go, oh, what the fuck? 
That is a digital kabuki mask that you put on your face to smooth out your wrinkles. And nobody looks like that. And you definitely don't look like that. And it's like, why would you do that to yourself? Because if you ever step out your front door, people see you. Game over. Anyway, what are we really talking about now? The schism between social media and reality? I don't know. Dude, your boy's lost. Your boy's fried. I probably shouldn't wait till Sunday to, Sunday to do these things. I should do it when I have a little more gas left in the tank. Anyway, let's see. Anything, anything else important to talk about? <sighs> no, there isn't. I finished, uh, I finished reading House of the Dead by Dostoevsky. Or, sorry, I take it back. Notes from a Dead House by Dostoevsky. Um, not very good. Not very engaging. I mean, it's interesting. It sheds light on Dostoevsky's imprisonment. Um, but it's, you know, it's written in the form of a novel. It's kind of unengaging. It should have been... I don't know. I would have much preferred just reading, like, an autobiography. As a novel, it's just pretty unengaging. I had that thing as I was reading it where my eyes were just sort of going over the page. And a lot of times if you're reading and you realize, I have no idea what just happened, you'll just, like, go back and reread it. With this book, I didn't give a fuck. Excuse me. I just kept reading. I just said, ah, I just want to be done. I don't really care. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, uh, even if I read the chapter, my eyes just sort of, like, like, uh, uh, just move across the page without really, like, processing the words. That's okay. There's some interesting passages where he talks about the psychology or the, of, of like the masochism of some of the uh, the guards and their different styles of uh, of uh, beating the inmates, which is like really penetrating, really insightful, really striking. But a lot of it is just kind of I don't know. Otherwise, it's just kind of blah. So uh, you know, there we go. Now I'm I'm sort of in a strange place because if I if I keep reading Dostoevsky, I have to read Brothers Karamazov, which I'm I'm trying to put off because. Uh, that's a big one, obviously. So maybe I'll save that for the summer. Uh, right now, I'm actually reading I Am Legend, the uh, Richard Matheson book. Um, I remember my brother read that when we were younger. And uh, I remember when the movie came out, the Will Smith movie, It was it's, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, I don't know if it's a very faithful adaptation of the book, probably for good reason. I mean, the book so far is kind of strange. It, you totally understand the changes that they made in the movie based on the book, but um, or why when they made a movie they would do it the way that they did. There's some uh, details about the book that just don't wouldn't play for modern audiences, I think. But uh, but anyway, hey, look, I'm just trying to prolong the, or protract the podcast now. It's time to end. Um, so if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, take a minute, rate and review us. Give us five stars. Type a couple sentences about why you like the podcast <clears throat> and why others will also. And if you can think of one person in your life who you think would like the show... Send them your favorite episode. This is also episode two of the video podcast. Uh, you can find the video podcast at thisismpod.com. That's thisismpod.com. You'll see the video in the uh, most recent post with the latest episode. Um, you can watch it there. You can click through to YouTube and subscribe. Um, otherwise, thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, that'll be it for this episode. Uh, we'll take a couple days off. And uh, until next time, thank you for your time, thank you for listening, and a ciao for now. <laughs>